0: last statement, this hope will not disappoint us. The hope that we speak of, the hope that we sing of, the hope that we hope in is an assuring hope. And I hope it's one that you hope. It's one that you live in every single day of your life. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, As we uh, come to this time of year, uh, it is nearly the end of 2020. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, yes. Uh, 2020 has come in like a lion. Sadly, it's not going to go out like a lamb. Uh, it, I think it's going to go out like a pride of lions. So I think it's only getting worse. Uh, it seems like I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer. I'm just the reality is it's like everything just seems to be simmering out there. And I, whether you're COVID fatigue or Zoom fatigue or uh, just life fatigue, it's just out there. And then you pile on that things are coming closer and closer to us. Schools are starting now to close again. Uh, is the economy going to shut down again? And, you know, can our economy handle another rush on toilet paper again? You know, these are just the realities. It's like I'm exhausted and I'm just thinking about it. And so, it, but that's the reality that we're living in. And um, when you live in those realities, sometimes you don't pay attention to the macro. Sometimes your only focus is on the micro. In the moment, right now, what am I going to do? What will I do to live today? What will I do today to exist? I've got friends in Africa, that, after living there, that literally, they're not thinking about COVID. Even though COVID's in the country, they're thinking about food tonight, Will they have food tonight? So, when it comes to a hierarchy of needs, that sometimes you go, "Okay, COVID's over there. I don't even know if I'm gonna have food." That—that's when you're stuck in the micro. Okay, you don't want to live in micro. Anytime there's a disaster, anytime there's chaos, that's a micro situation. You're in that situation. Tornado comes through, blows things down. You—you don't—you're not thinking about your five-year plan. You're thinking about the next five minutes of your life. And you get what I'm saying? So the micro sometimes, uh, consumes us that we can never get to the macro. The macro question is, why do I have a life? Not what am I going to do with my life in the next five minutes, but do I, why, why do I have a life? Why am I breathing? Is there, is there, is there a plot to this story that I'm living out? This is the higher level kind of thinking. This is where we need to get to as soon as possible because this will help us to answer some of the micro issues that we go through, okay? But sometimes, again, hierarchy of needs is if you can't deal with the micro, you can't ever make it to the macro, so hang with me on this, because what I want to do is I want to take COVID race sensitivity. I want to take the the issues that are going on in our political world. And I want to say, OK, put them over there for the, for, for the next 30 minutes and let's deal with something on a higher level. Let's talk about the macro question of why on earth am I here? Again, bigger question can maybe help us with the smaller, maybe the micro issues that we deal with. But why on earth am I here is a very legitimate question. It's probably a question whether you ask it exactly like that, that you at some point will ask that in your life. Why am I here? Why am I having another day? There's a great book that was written in this millennium called What on Earth Am I Here For? Okay, by Rick Warren. Uh, it has sold 50 million copies. It's in over 70 languages, okay? If you haven't read it, you need to pick it up and read it immediately. It is one of those that I've given out like Candy. It's one of those I've read multiple times, just again, to recenter myself and get myself back on track and to remember why on earth I'm here. So again, I challenge you to be asking that level of question because at some point in your life, you will ask that question. Um, this is why some people have kind of figured out their life, and this is some of the rationale that some people have said about trying to answer that question. My life is a superb cast, but I can't figure out the plot. I, my life is an incredible cast. I'm the leading cast. I'm the leading figure, but I just can't figure out the plot of my own story. If that's you, then you can identify with Arthur Ashley. Maybe you're like Jack Hanley, who said, I hope life isn't a joke because I don't get it. And again, that may be the way you define life and why Why on earth are you here. Uh, Dr. Hugh Moorhead Professor at Northwest, Northeastern Illinois University sent a letter out to 250 people that he hand selected asking them what was the meaning of life. 250 people, philosophers, educators, people that should know doctors, lawyers, people that, that, that think at higher levels and asked them the question why do we exist? Why is life, why, why, uh, why do we, what's the meaning of life? He got back lots of answers. He got back everything from paragraphs to dissertations. And then he got back some responses that basically said, we don't know why what life is about. But when you figure it out and write your book, would you be sure and tell us? And I think that if we're truly honest with ourselves, sometimes we don't know why we're living another day. Carl Jung, a famous psychiatrist, said it like this. He said, I don't know the meaning or the purpose of life, but it looks like, it looks as if something were meant by it. This is a guy who helps people figure out life's questions. And he's trying to say, I don't know what it is myself. And so again, in this world of of discerning life and how do you get a good answer to this? One other person said like this, as far as I can see, there is no purpose what a sad tale what is the purpose what's the meaning what's the the real value of life and again you can ask 100 250 people if you want to and you may get 250 responses back but what is the meaning of life and what would you put on that could you put it into a sentence could you put it into a paragraph or can you even answer that and i think we've got to find a a reliable source to help us answer that question Answer to that question is very, very important to the, again, the macro of life. Then how do you get to that? And there's going to be people that are going to tell you, oh, the Bible is time, is this is this old ancient book of old stories that I don't even understand. Let me just tell you what it is, because I, de- I beg to differ. I think it is a timeless, relevant, infallibly true book that gives us incredible answers to life if we'll lean in. Gives us incredible direction in life if we'll obey. It, it, it helps us to connect with God at a level that is incredible. I'm getting ready. We're getting ready in the new year to study through the book of Genesis. I'm telling you, I am still in chapter one, outlining chapter one. And I've been there for months because there is so much in that one chapter. I can't even get to the bottom. That's what I'm trying to say. It is timelessly relevant and infallibly true. But that's just one book, okay? Okay. There's 66 books making up this one book. If you go to the book of Psalms, you'll find where you can connect with God on a a deeply emotional level. In fact, uh, Tim Keller said it like this. He said, Psalms are filled with expressions of emotion, of pain and joy and praise. They show us how to process our experiences before God. I like that statement. You know, it's an emotional book, and you get into it, and you see anger, and you see sadness, and you see betrayal, and you see trust, and you see fear, and you see faith, and you hear so much of. It. In fact, if you have not read through the Psalms, and we've been reading through Proverbs, I would encourage you. Maybe you might want to go to the Psalms next, because as you get into that, you okay, my emotions. I'm not just feeling these myself. There's other people feeling this, and it's like King David. It's like Moses. It's like the writers of the very scriptures that are struggling. But Proverbs is different. Again, every book has its own little slant. Proverbs, Tim Keller says, is very different book. It's, it calls us to study, to think, to learn the practical discipline of centering all of our thoughts and actions on God. Proverbs is about how having trusted God, we should then live that faith out. I like it. It calls us to study, to think, to learn. It calls you to a deeper level of processing through life. So if you're going to ask the question, what on earth am I here for? If you're going to get a real viable answer, then maybe Proverbs is... Go- if you want to know what your next move might be, you might want to turn to Proverbs. Because where it has become a self-help book for many people, where they they hop, skip, and jump, it is also a book that connects us to truth. In fact, again, if you take your Bibles and find the book of Proverbs, chapter sixteen. If you're online watching, welcome, glad you're a part of our worship gathering in in, in your living room, in a coffee shop, or wherever you are in in this world. Turn to Proverbs 16. Find Proverbs 16 on your tablet, on your phone, or a, a print I'm still a print guy. and Guys, I'm going to encourage you, always, always take the print version because it is just incredible when you can interact with the text and write and circle. And I'm going to encourage you to do some of that here today. But what you're going to find when you read Proverbs, as I've already pointed out, is it's a letter, pretty much. It's directions, if you will, from a father largely to a son. Or from a mother to a to a daughter, it doesn't matter the gender. It's just in this case, it's Solomon, King Solomon, writing to a son. Largely, first nine chapters, all that's all that is about. Other parts of it are certainly indicating that as well. But when you read it, you're going to get great wisdom about about the way you should live your life, about the paths you should take in life, about the the wisdom you need in life. That's going to help you unpack it. In fact, there's one word in particular that's used 25 different times. It's translated path. and and journey and and road and way. It's translated a lot of different, but it means the path you're gonna take, the road that you're gonna journey, the journey that you're journeying on. And some of y'all are on that journey right now. You're on a journey whether you realize you're on that journey or not. And he's going to bring it to light. Now, if you go to Proverbs 16, where we're at today, and you go to the first four verses where we're gonna be today, you're gonna see where he's going to bring these words together. But notice this, and I'm gonna have you underline and circle different things. Inextricably, there is a connection between our paths, our roads, our purpose, our work, and the Lord. And if you ever devoid the Lord from that equation, if you ever extract out the Lord from your work, from your plans, from your role, from your purpose in life, then you are literally like a crapshoot on a table or playing Russian roulette with your life. You have got to marry these two together and you've got to see that the Lord works in those all, all those domains of your life. So or underscore, jot these down as we go. Proverbs 16 verse one. Circle the word plans. The plans of the heart belong to a man. We have five year plans. We have 10 year plans. We have retirement plans. We have plans. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So the real answer, though, is in the Lord. So you really want to know what your future is. You really want to make plans. Then just involve. Again, I'm going to say this. They're they're interconnected if you're going to live a wise life. You can't separate God from your plans. He said... All the ways, circle the word ways, of a man are pure in his own eyes. Okay, you might think you're doing the right thing. You might think you're on the right track. Uh -uh, uh -uh. Don't don't devoid the Lord of that. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. You see here, again, we try to do our own plans. We try to do our own ways. We set our own motives. But until the Lord has spoken into that. Again, they're inextricable. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your works. Circle the word works to the Lord. And your plans will be established. The Lord, underscore the word Lord, has every, has made everything for its purpose. Circle the word purpose. Notice every time he gives a purpose, a work, a plan, a motive, every time it's always tied back to the Lord. You cannot separate the two. You must marry the two together. So here's what I'm going to say to you we answer the tough questions of life, the macro big life questions, <laughs> you do it apart from the Lord, you're missing it. It is Russian roulette with a loaded gun. It is potentially wasting your life. So there's three questions when you think about purpose. I really want to focus on the last verse today. And we'll come back to the other verses next week. But the, the last one when he says, His purpose. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. That really gets to the big rock question. Three of them to be exact. Three of probably the greatest questions that you're going to ask at some point in your life, whether you're asking them now, you're asking them in the future, or you're asking them when you go to college, or you're asking them whenever you ask them. Here's where they are. It's, why am I alive? Does my life matter? And what is my purpose? I want you to say them with me, okay? Why am I alive? Does my life matter? And what is my purpose? If you're watching online, say it with me. Everyone say it in this room so they can hear you on the other side of that camera. Why am I alive? Does my life matter? What is my purpose? Those are three questions. Again, macro questions, big life questions that you're going to have to sort through. But when you sort through them and you come up with an answer, what it's going to do is it's going to tell you the why I exist. It's going to tell you what your significance is. It's going to tell you what God's purpose is for your life. If you ask the Lord to be a part of the answer. If he's not a part of the answer, you're going to figure it out and you might get it right and you might get it wrong, but I'm not even going to say 50-50 chance. I'm going to say 99 point, maybe to one. Interact the Lord with it and you might, and you will get the answer that you're looking for. And listen, you don't need to do this on your own. We emphasize groups around here because groups are where you go and process this out. You don't need to do this in a vacuum. You don't need to just do this in the recesses of your head. You need to get in a group. If you're not in a group, text GPC Connect to 9700 and we'll help connect you. That's all the commercial on groups I'm gonna give you today. But they're, they're 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 incredibly valuable to helping you sort through the questions of life. Let's deal with each of these questions really quickly. Number one question, the question of existence. Why am I alive? This ought not be a question that we should ask. I wouldn't think, but it's a question that I see more and more people asking themselves. Why am I alive? I, as a pastor, get to be a part of people's lives at different critical times and important times and fun times and hard times. I get to be a part of when babies are born. I get to be a part of when people get married. I get to be a part of people when people have funerals. So basically, I get to be a part of your life when you're hatched, matched, and dispatched. Those are the three times that I get to kind of walk with people. And I see the good, the bad, and the ugly in those times. Um, Something that's happened over the past 30 years, and I will have celebrated 30 years in ministry at the end of December, 30 years in ministry, the past five years, so 25 years, five years, the past five years, I have done, I have been a part, I've walked with more families that have gone through suicide than I did in the previous 25 years. Incredible amounts of people struggling with this. We had a literal conversation with a family Once removed from our church, even this morning that we're trying to figure out, was it suicide? It was a death that happened just yesterday. The reality is that it's becoming a part of the conversation each so much so that each year more people die from suicide than homicide. Now put that into your thought process. During COVID season, it's what I'm going to call this this past nine months. I did a funeral of a family member. Who had committed suicide connected to our church? I had this epiphany that came out during that time of studying and praying and walking with that family and during that time. And I was answering this question why do people attempt suicide? It's when people believe that the pain of living is greater than the pain of dying like my life is in so much pain i can't get out of this fast enough and i think that that i can die and it will get me out of it and again it's the voices in the head it's the lies that i talked about last week that we tell ourselves that we go into that dark space and the reality is some of it is we just don't know why we exist we've lost our reason for living A study that was done and asked the question that if you could ask God one question, one question, and he would give you an immediate response, what would that one question be? 34% of the people said, what is my purpose here? That's the question. Why am I breathing? Jeremiah, the great prophet of God. No, surely the godly people don't ever ask this question. Surely the godly people have it all figured out. This is what Jeremiah said. Why was I born Why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow in the end my life in disgrace? The struggles that we go on inside of us is so real and so overwhelming that we sometimes struggle to realize that God does have a purpose for your existence. The Lord made everything for his own purpose. I love that statement for his own purpose. It gets the emphasis off of me and gets it onto God in that God actually may have a bigger purpose for me than I have for me. I may not see a reason for my life to go on, but God may see a reason for my life to go on. And so therefore, if I understand his purpose for my life, then I can get in on what he is about. And a part of that is unveiled to us in Ephesians chapter one, verse four and five, when he says, he chose us. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself. I love it that he chose us and he adopted us. every child that is born is a miracle in my mind, the whole thought, the whole process the whole the whole conception the whole the whole uh, is it gestation uh it, the whole group in the womb process you know the the, the whole birth process and then the birth process we won't go there but i mean that that is like that's an incredible reality to think through and it's a miracle in itself but you know what something that's just beautiful is an adoption it's just incredible And again, I don't need to go into all that. We've had families that adopt in our our church. It's just a beautiful story because it is this verse lived out. I chose you. I adopted you. And whenever I realize that I'm on his purpose and his purpose is that he chose me, he chose me, he adopted me. God, don't you see all the mess, all the trash, all the buildup, all the waste in my own life? I chose you. I adopted you. When that becomes the narrative of our mind, that's a different narrative than what, again, our mind might fill us. So here's what happens, is that when I realized that I was created to know God, that was why he created me, to choose me and to adopt me and to make his, that's a beautiful reality. And I'm not just talking about this head knowledge, no. I'm talking about the intimate love relationship with God. Can I get an amen to that? That's odd. Light a light of fire in some of us. The fact that I was chosen, and the fact that, he, that, that literally the purpose that I might be breathing my breath today and I exist today is that he wants me to know God. The reason we say we exist as Grace Point Church is to help people know God, love people, and to live sent. And the very first one is to know God. So do you know God? Because you are alive today. If for no other reason, fill in the blank, whatever you want, for no other reason, you must fill it in that I know God. Do I know God? Uh, this, uh, this January or February, obviously we don't know when, but uh, I'm going to be a granddad if you haven't heard the good news. Uh, I know I'm too young for that, but that's just the reality of that I'm I'm living in. And, uh, uh, but uh, our daughter, our oldest daughter, uh, our only daughter, but she's expecting twins. Okay, twins are not in our uh, in our in our family line. Okay, and, and she's to- told me I have the the, the privilege or I have the, the right to share this story. She says it's just because of, because of their God story and. They had to go through in vitro fertilization process. It was a long process. They'd been waiting for years and praying for years and it failed, failed, failed and it just didn't work out. And so they went through this process and I have photos of my grandchildren. Do you want to see them today? I'm going to be that kind of granddad. Okay. So here, 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 are, here are the photos. Okay. Here's Sayla and James. Uh, they look just like me, don't they? Uh, so that's them. Uh, Lord, Jordan gave me for my Father's Day gift this year, a onesie. Wouldn't you like to see me in a onesie? Uh, uh, no, not really. Uh, it was, it was a baby onesie, and that's how she told me. And, and whenever she gave it to me, they, they were only a few weeks old. They were the size of the end of my peaking finger. She says it's the size of a blueberry. And they already had a heartbeat. They already had a heartbeat. I might cry. So I was reading through Isaiah a few weeks ago and was praying over James and Selah. And I wasn't expecting this verse, but this verse popped off the page. It says, now the Lord says, he has formed me from the womb. He's formed me from the womb. God starts his work, not when we start breathing in this planet earth. He starts his work while it's still in the womb. I don't want to interrupt his work. There are no illegitimate children. There may be illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. If God brings them into existence, it's because he's doing a beautiful work. And his intent, his purpose, why does he do this? So that we would know God. What does he say in Isaiah 45, verse 4 and 5? He says, I call you by your name. I name you. So God knew James and Salem before Tiernan and Jordan knew James and Salem though you do not know me, I am the Lord and there is no other. Isn't that incredible that the God of the universe creates us that we might know God. That's incredible. I got to move on. Number two question is the significance. So I exist. I'm created to know God. Let's move into the next question. The question of significance. Does my life matter? Does my life matter? Because sometimes you wake up day after day and you do the same old things. You're selling widgets to Walmarts or you're getting wall, uh, widgets off the, uh, off the shelves or you're putting more widgets on the shelves or you're whatever you're doing. Remember the old commercial, if you're old enough like me, to remember Time to Make the Donuts? Uh, early morning, a guy gets up every morning. If you're old like me, you remember this commercial. And it's like, every night, I gotta make the donuts. I gotta make the donuts. Time to make the donuts. And so sometimes you feel like that. You feel like you're kind of a hamster on a hamster wheel. And it's just, you just keep going. And you keep doing. You keep putting product. You keep, you keep doing all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? You're in good company. Isaiah, the prophet, felt that way too. In Isaiah 49 verse 4, notice this. Isaiah 49 verse 4, he said, My work all seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and for no purpose at all. Anybody can identify with that verse? You just feel like you're just kind of a hamster wheel, you're in time to make the donuts, you just kind of keep, keep doing that? That's verse four, verse five. Now the Lord says, see what you gotta do is you gotta reverse the voices in your head to the voice of God. Again, inextricable, remember that? Can't separate them out. Get the voice of God speaking. Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb. What did he say? I want you to be a servant of mine. He had a plan for Isaiah before Isaiah was breathing his his breath uh, on this earth. And his plan was to make him a servant. What was that servant? It was a prophet of God. And the prophet of God becomes one of the greatest prophets of God of that day and that age. So what we've got to realize in this is that we live at different levels and modes of life. And sometimes we get stuck in one and we never get out of it. And some of it's because we've extra- extrapolated the Lord out of our narrative, okay? One of those is the survival mode. You just kind of get in the survival mode. I'm getting ready for Genesis in the new year. And we're going to study through the book of Genesis. And as I'm reading yesterday, just yesterday in the life of Jacob. And this is the way Jacob described his life in chapter 47, verse, verse 9. And maybe this is how some of you would describe your life. Put the verse up there if you don't mind, guys. He said, my life is full of evil and have been, uh, uh, full, few and evil and have been the days of the years of my life. He told that after 130 years, he told that to Pharaoh. My days have been few and full of evil. And if you go back and look at the deceptive life that, that, that Jacob lived, you can go, yep, 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 yep. You were a deceiver. And at the end of his life, He's saying it's been full of evil. Listen, that's survival mode. You don't want to live that mode. Get out of that mode as fast as you can. Success mode is what some people get into. They get stuck in success mode. It's like, I want to get all I can. Can I get and sit on the can? It's like, I I, I can't get enough. And so they just accumulate and they become wealthy. And they think that the end game is is to have more than my neighbor at the end of my life. And listen, another realm of success. Don't hear me say that at all. The things you could do with success and the resources, the resources and the riches that God gives you is incredible. But is it just about me? Even, Sol- even Solomon, wise King Solomon. Notice this, all the personal pronouns, I, me, my, that he shares in his memoirs of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So my wealth making mechanism, my avenue of making money was through my wisdom. Kings and queens and princes would come and get consult from him. So my wisdom stayed with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from uh, from no pleasure. Basically, if it felt good, I did it. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered, took a time to reflect, had a retreat, got aside. I don't know what he did, but he considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in, uh, in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. When you get to the end of your life and you go, man, I've made a lot, I've spent a lot, and I've done a lot, but is that it? It's vain in striving after the wind. You want to move to six significance. I've referred to this book hundred and one times. Half time. I read it when I was thirty. I would recommend anybody and everyone read it between the thirties and forties, because there comes a point in your life whenever you've been successful. And you go, well, I'm not there yet. Okay, don't, don't even wait to get there. There is chasing after the wind. That's what Solomon's talking about. Somewhere back here, whenever you got a viable living, whenever you have things somewhat in your bank account, at that some point, you got to stop and you got to level set things and you got to ask yourself the question, am I just about success or am I going to move to significance? Because there has to be more in life. At the end of our life, everything that we've done, everything that we've accomplished, everything that we've accumulated, according to 1 Corinthians, will be piled in a heap. It's going to be valued out. It's going to be valued out through the flame of fire, tested. I don't have time to read the whole text, but you read it for yourself. 12, chapter 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 14. He's going to talk about some things are going to be gold, some things are going to be silver, some things are going to be precious stones, some things are going to be wood, hay, and straw. There's a lot of wood, hay, and straw that I think that we collect in life, but it's going to make it through the fire. On that day, it will be tested and what will be tested, what will last forever, the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. I want to make sure that what I do on this planet in the days that I have, it lasts. It'll last beyond the end of my life and on the end of this month and on the end of a nice vacation, or the end of that car, or this car, or whatever. I want to make sure it has lasting value. First Corinthians, or Psalms one thirty-nine, verse sixteen. You scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. God has a plan. Are you on it? Psalm 33, verse 11, his plans endure forever. So he has a plan. Am I on his plan? If I'm on his plan, guess what? It will endure forever. His purposes last eternally. So what is it that his plan will endure? His plan will last forever. It will last for all eternity. The only thing I can think of that will last for all eternity is people. Forever lasting. Lasting. Where are you pouring in and making a life change in other people's life? Because if I exist to know God, I am made to make God known. I am to know God and I am to make God known. And how am I doing that? Where am I doing that? Where in the church am I doing? That? This is like a laboratory that we get to go into first graders or one-year-olds or our students on Wednesday night. Or maybe open up our home to a group or maybe open up our lives to just walk through life and share life online. where am I pouring my life, the faith that is in me, into somebody else? Because that's the only thing that I know of is knowing God and making him known, knowing God and making him known, knowing God and making him known. What about in the world out there my day to day life, where I live work, learn and play. How am I making him known there? I thank God that I have an avenue that three or four days a week i I get to hang out with people that are far from God, not all of them, some of them but i get to I get to just be Mike, not pastor, and it's fun to be Mike and to just be able to pour Jesus as well in my life and conversations I have into some of the people that I get to know in this world. I need that. I need to know why I exist. I exist to know God. I need to know the significance that God has for my life. And it's not to make more. It's not to just endure to the end. Actually, the significance is to make him known. Number three, the third question is the question of intention. What's my purpose? Psalms says, again, I keep quoting Psalms and Proverbs. They kind of tie together. It says, why do you create us? For nothing? Again, I told you that Psalms is very emotional, very real, very authentic. Read through it yourself. David is real and raw here. Why do you make things? Why do you create us? Is, Is it for nothing? And for some people... Especially of an atheist mindset that truly is there's no hope in atheism, my friends. You are all here by chance. I'm here by chance. So make all you can and, and enjoy life as much as you can and live for yourself. Because when it's all over, it's all over. Bertrand Russell said it like this whenever he was talking about an Englishman man who's an atheist. He said this. He said, unless you assume the existence of God, the question of life's meaning and purpose is irrelevant. You got to come down. If there isn't a God, then let's all leave this room right now and just live it up. But if there is a God, then I need to lean in and I need to take note and I need to know him and I need to make him known. Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10, now the living Bible says, knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. It all starts with knowing God. We cannot do a study through the book of Proverbs and me not key in on, point out one incredibly important phrase that I mentioned on day one. I want to mention it again today because it is, I think, the linchpin to the whole book. If you get this phrase down and get it woven into your life, then you can understand Proverbs. Why do I know that? Because in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, it literally says, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, then you won't have wisdom. But look at everything else it does. It it gives us the knowledge of God. We're able to turn away from evil because we fear God. We're able, it prolongs our life. It gives us confidence. It's a fountain. That is handful, six of 16 different times the fear of the Lord phrase is used in the book of Proverbs. So I'm just only giving you a sample of the value of what it means to fear the Lord. So much of our life is is very singular, myopic, looking at our life through our life lens. When you fear the Lord, you begin to look at life through God lenses. You begin to realize that there's a God and he's in control. You begin to realize that, that God is in control and he has a plan for your life. You realize that God is in an control and he, has a, he wants to work through your life. You realize, you begin to see life through the lens uh, of God. The, the word fear of the Lord is a phrase that many just kind of wrestle with a little bit because it's, it's not an easy phrase. C.S. Lewis used that phrase in his head when he was writing his classic series of books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And when he talked about Anselin, and he made the character of Anselm a, a lion, he was thinking of the fear of the Lord. He says, when you think about Aslan, excuse me, Aslan, when you think about Aslan, you think about this lion, and you think about a lion, what do you think if you think about strong and mighty, can take your life or can choose to give your life? What if, what if you saw God through that lens? That God, you are a lion. If you notice, if you know the writings of C.S. Lewis, actually he's a gentle lion, but at any given time, the lion can take life. See, if we understood God and we understood who he is and how he wants us to connect to him, know God, make him known. And here's the purpose of my life to bring glory to God. That's the purpose. Every day I wake up, Every move I make, every decision I make, the clothes I put on, the attitude I put on, the words that I speak, the, even the food that I eat, literally is all for his glory. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 1 Corinthians ten thirty one says, whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. That literally my life is to be lived to bring a praise and glory to Him. It's not about my five year plan. It's not about my, it's not about anything else other than what does bring glory to God. Call it Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For everything, absolutely everything. Above and below, visible and invisible, everything. God started in him and finds its purpose in him. That's why I'm saying. It's got to be about his glory. It's got to be about his fame, not my fame, not my glory. One more verse and I'm finished. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11 says, "In It is in Christ that we find out who we are, what we are living for. This is the other message. A part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. We finally get the big picture when we begin to live our lives for his glory. See, we were created to know God. We were made to make him known. And our purpose in life, bring glory to God. Bring glory to God. The Westminster Confession says that very thing, that we are to glorify God And enjoy him forever. What if that was our motto in life? I am glorifying God. And I'm enjoying him as I do it. That's a life well lived. Would you pray with me? Father. To know that you gave so much for us. Caring and mighty and. like a lion but gentle to embrace us and to love us through the complexities of this world that you breathe life into us another day today that we might know you today and Lord if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you oh God oh God oh God would they not leave this campus today until they've talked to one of our pastors. If they're watching online, may they text in and may they start the conversation around what it means to know God in an intimate love relationship. God, this is is real. We're playing for keeps. We're playing for eternity. And then God, help us to make it known. And then may we do everything that we do for your glory your fame your recognition your honor because it's all about you and not about us so God we surrender we surrender to you we surrender in Jesus name amen would you stand and sing with us